Uh, let's go to God in prayer as we open up our time together. <clears throat> our God and our Father, we are grateful to you for the ability that we have to come together, to gather in your name, to inspire one another to live lives of integrity, full of your um, power and your spirit. We pray that we honor you with the time that we have, that we would seek out ways um, to hold you up, to lift you up, to bring you glory as we work to encourage one another to live properly. We thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice, the unity we have in his blood, and the hope we have in his resurrection, and the life that we lead because of what he has done. We pray that we're mindful of those things as we go from this place. We pray that we would be still this morning and that your spirit would speak to us in ways that we need, that we would be convicted in those areas where we are lacking, and we would be encouraged in those areas where we are doing well. And we pray as we leave this place that we would have the wisdom, the discernment, um, to follow the voice of the Spirit of God which dwells within us. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. William Shakespeare once said, Be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. Uh, I, I can't really help but think about uh, that kind of, of a mentality, those kinds of activities, when you think about the way the apostles are called. Like we're looking at what it means to live a life that is marked by the calling of Jesus to be his disciples. And we're going to look at the response that many of the apostles have as Jesus calls them to come and serve him. You know, there are some who are willing. There are some who received the call. Some were kind of, I wouldn't say all of them were natural disciples because Jesus chose people that a typical rabbi would not have chosen. He didn't go to the synagogue. He didn't go to the temple. He didn't go to the places where you select a student. He went to the sea. He went to the tax booth. He went to the field. And he took the kind of people that rabbis just didn't call to be students. Even if you look at the lives of the apostles, some of them achieved that kind of greatness. Some of them had the kind of life that they lived thrust upon them. Um, Peter, John even says to Peter, John, Jesus even says to Peter at the end of the Gospel of John that after he restores Peter, he says, no, you're going to be led to places you don't want to go. You said that you're willing to die for me, but you are going to live a life where people are going to take you into places that you are unwilling to go, and you're going to be forced to do things that you don't want to do for the sake of the kingdom. And so we see these ordinary men called to an extraordinary task of not only being disciples of Jesus, but being those first apostles who would go out into the world and would bring the good news of Jesus to the world for the first time. Throughout this weekend, as, as Jim mentioned earlier, we've had these reminders of what happened September 11th, 2001, and the way that it has shaped and affected our world today. In fact, tomorrow, September 13th, marks a day when the Queen of England, during the changing of the guard, 
decided to play the Star-Spangled Banner to honor the things that transpired in this country. The Queen of England doesn't break protocol unless there is something that really impacts life, and, and she did on that day. As you, if you watched football games yesterday, people were wearing special logos on their helmets. They were designed differently. Rice and Liberty were allowed to both wear their home uniforms so you would have a field full of red, white, and blue colors as they were playing the game. There were tributes in the New York Yankees and the New York Mets series as they brought all the first responders you know, onto the field to honor the things that were done. There were stories that were told. As I read one of them yesterday, there's not a lot. I mean, there's a lot of things that kind of make me sentimental. There's not a lot of things that I read that really just make me have this visceral reaction of tears. Maybe you know the name Todd Beamer. I saw some of you share on Facebook. I thought about reading the transcript of the 911 call, but I don't think I would get through it. And it really sets the stage for exactly the kind of response that we're going to speak on today. Todd Beamer was on Flight 93, and he was able to make a 911 call while he was on the plane. And as he begins speaking with Lisa, he, he tells Lisa, he says, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I need you to call my wife. I need you to, to tell my boys I'm proud of them. My wife is about to have a baby, and the calm that he has in the midst of what he knows is not a good situation. Well, he leaves the line open, and as he comes back, he says, Lisa, I need you to hear me. He says, other passengers have been able to call out, and we know what's going on. I want you to listen to the response. He says, hear me. We are not going to make it out of here. He said, Lisa, I have talked with the others, and we will not be pawns in this plot. He said, Lisa, will you do one thing for me? And she said, yes. And he said, will you pray with me? And then they recite the Lord's Prayer on the phone. He recites a piece of the 23rd Psalm, and he says, God help me. Jesus help me. And then he clears his throat and he looks around and he says, are you all ready? Let's roll. And we know what transpired on that flight after that. A dramatic instance where something is thrust upon another group of people that they didn't want, that they didn't desire, that they never would have chosen. We don't know what would have happened had they not done what they did on that plane, but most likely the actions that they took, while it cost them their lives, it saved numerous others. And the ability to think clearly in a moment Right? There, there come these moments in each of our lives where we have to make a decision that is going to affect life. And it is going to affect it in big and dramatic ways. When I was 18, I thought choosing a major was going to affect my life in big and dramatic ways. And it did for a little while, and then that changed, and then that changed, and then that changed, and then I was working on cars. 
the decision I made to begin washing cars at, at Bob Moore really did affect my life. I had no idea the kind of long-lasting impact that was going to have on my life at the time. I knew it was a big deal at Lake Hefner when Heather and I were rollerblading around the lake with a picnic lunch packed in my backpack. I knew the question I was about to ask, even though I 99.9% .9 knew the answer to, there is always that 0.01% that lingers heavy in the mind. Before you ask the question, will you marry me? As a 19-year-old kid, I had no idea the kind of impact that was going to have on my life. But I knew that it was a decision that we were making that wasn't just going to be something we were going to have to live with the consequences of, good or bad, for a little while, that this was something we were entering into. And I remember the stories that my dad told about when they got married. His grandmother gave them a rolling pin and a butcher knife, and she said, Jerry, I want you to tell you something, and Pam, I want, me to t I want to tell you something. There are no divorces in my family. If you get in a fight, Pam gets the butcher knife, and Jerry gets the gets the rolling pin, and you guys fight it out. <laughs> and I think she was kind of joking, but I think she was more serious than she was being humorous. We face those moments, though, at times where there is something before us where we have to make a decision that is going to impact the rest of your life. But here's the thing. When you make the decision to follow Jesus Christ, it does not affect the rest of your life. It affects eternity. Right? It affects the rest of your life in this world and beyond. It affects the life of your family. It affects the life of all of the people that you will then encounter. Because the calling is not just to accept Jesus as Lord, to, to take him on in baptism. It is not just to begin this walk with Jesus, but it is to make sure that everyone you come into contact with knows about the man whom you are clothed in. Knows about Jesus. How will you respond? to the call of Christ. That is the question that looms large in, in each of our lives in this moment. It is, maybe you did respond at once, but this is a continual act of response that we live with, that every day we wake up and we respond to the call of Christ. And you've probably heard the phrase, I love the phrase that says, I want to be the kind of Christian that when my feet hit the floor in the morning, Satan says, good grief, he's up again. Like, won't God take this man or this woman away because I'm tired of working against them? Because every morning when we wake up, we answer the call of Christ when he says, will you be my disciple? I was reminded of And Heather and I go to lots of, when we have the chance, go to marriage seminars, really every chance we get, because it helps keep us mindful of the things that are so important to the health of our own relationship and to the health of our family and to the health of this family. 
And, you know, there's a couple of schools of thought with the wedding ring. One is, man, you put it on and you don't take it off. It never comes off. And one of the men we were listening to said, you know, I take my ring off every night. And I put it in a drawer. And every morning I wake up and I put it back on. And every time I put that ring back on, I'm reminded of the promise I made to God and to my wife. Of the kind of man and the kind of husband that I would be. And and to answer the call of Christ is the same, that every morning we need this reminder. We have to renew our answer to the call of Christ. We're going to get to Luke chapter 5 here in just one moment as we look at the answer that Levi, Matthew, has to the call of Jesus. But before that, what happens immediately before that we see in Mark chapter 12. Um, I believe it's Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 and verse 13. And, and what happens there is these men come to see Jesus. And they can't get to him. And they are so intent on getting to Jesus that they go up on the roof and they dig a hole and they lower their friend down through him and say, we are not going to be impeded from Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Nothing is going to keep us from getting there. And, and then there's Matthew. Matthew is in a tax booth. If there is one thing Matthew doesn't want, you know what it is? He doesn't want to see Jesus. He does not want to see Jesus because Jesus is a Jew and Jews hate tax collectors. They hate tax collectors, especially Jewish tax collectors, because they are traitors working for the Roman government. They're taking our money and they're taking their money. They got no business calling themselves a Jew. And Jesus is Messiah that many have heard of. They've heard of the teachings. They've heard of the things that he's done. They've heard of the, the prophecies that he has fulfilled and the things that go before him. And he's making waves in every place that he goes. And the one person Matthew does not want to encounter is Jesus the Christ because he doesn't want to deal with what Messiah has to say about traitor Jews. Because Messiah has come to reclaim the nation for Israel. And so I have to believe that as Jesus is approaching the tax booth, Matthew is starting to sink behind one of the pillars saying, please don't see me. Please don't see me. Please don't know who I am. But here's what happens in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. It said, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he didn't walk up to Levi and say, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. I can't believe you betrayed your people. Don't you know who God is? Don't you know what God has in store for you? Why would you turn your back on God's people like that? You got no business calling yourself a Jew, Levi. Jesus walks up to Levi and he says, Levi, come follow me. And maybe Levi was working in his books trying to pretend like he didn't see or hear. And then he hears the words, Levi, follow me. What'd you say? (laughs) Is there somebody else named Levi over here? Because I know he's not talking to me. 
says, follow me. Would you come with me? Right? This, isn't, this isn't something he said to everybody, right? This is an invitation from this Christ, from Messiah, to a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector. He says, I want you to come be my disciple. I want you to come be my student. And so leaving everything behind, he got up and he began to follow him. A choice that Levi had to make that in this moment was going to change completely the rest of his life. And it was also going to change the world as anyone knew it. And then Levi hosted a great banquet for him at his house. And now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. But the Pharisees and other scribes were complaining to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you eating with them? And Jesus said, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. How will you answer the call of Christ? Because the truth is, following Jesus isn't complicated. It's not complicated to follow Jesus. It is challenging. Like there there is something in here that really causes you to think. It is a serious choice that you make to begin a walk with Jesus. But walking with Jesus is not complicated. There's not a complex structure of things that you have to accomplish and do and, and achieve in order to be a child of God, a follower of Jesus. He says, I just want you to come and follow me. But these footsteps are not easy footsteps to walk in by any means. We will not walk through light-hearted paths. We will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will walk through thorns. We will walk through thistles. It will not be a direct path. It will not be obstacle-free. There are things that we will have to overcome. And yes, in this world, you will face trouble. It will be challenging. But it is not complicated. And, and that's what we have a tendency to do when it comes to big decisions, right? We want to weigh the options, and we want to look over this, and let's make a pros and a cons list, and let's kind of, what's the safest route that we can go to, to continue to achieve the things that we have in mind? And Jesus says, look, it's real simple. You're for me, or you're against me. And when he walked up that day to that tax booth and he said, Levi, I want you to come and follow me. Levi had a choice to make. Do I want to continue to sit in this tax booth where I am rejected by my own people? He was probably pretty wealthy. Most of them were. But what good does wealth do if you're rejected by, the, by your own people? If you can't live in your own community? If your own family doesn't even really call you their own? But then this one day Messiah comes and he doesn't go to the synagogue. He doesn't go to the temple. He doesn't go to the scribes or the Pharisees. He doesn't go to the educated people who have the law memorized. He comes to a fisherman and a tax collector and he says, I want you.
And Matthew basically says, what else do I have to lose? Now I'm putting myself in Levi's shoes. Here's what I'm going. Hey, Jesus, hold that thought. Let me go pack a bag real quick. Like, there's some things that I just can't live without, right? I need my hair gel. I need my shampoo. You know, I'll tell you what I do need. I do need a razor because when this starts growing out, it's crazy. There's a few little mementos that, like, I need to take my, my photo albums, and I need, I need to get my phone charger, and, oh, yeah, I need to get my, my notepad. Can I, can I bring my laptop, Jesus? You know, can, just, just hang on just a second. I'm coming, okay? I'm coming, but there's a few things that I need to gather first so that I can be prepared for the journey. Levi goes, let's go. And they began walking. They move on to the next, that leaving everything behind. That's radical. That's crazy, though. You know why he says leave everything behind? Because following Jesus isn't complicated. He goes, look, Levi, you don't need anything else because here's the only thing you need. I am all you need. Do we have the ability to live with that kind of singularity of focus that just says, you know what? Come what may, I'm following Jesus. Don't complicate it. Sometimes the gospel is offensive. And we want to make it not so. I mean, we, we want to make it this thing that's wrapped up in a in a nice package that's easy to unwrap and easy to swallow. Because sometimes it's offensive to you. Sometimes as I'm saying it, it's offensive to me. And it's like, I can't say these things because that means I have to change. And I'm okay with you changing, but I don't want to change. Like, I don't want to be convicted. I don't want to be corrected. The other Jews in town would have looked at Jesus and said, no real rabbi would choose a tax collector. He is one of those people. And we don't associate with those people. And any rabbi worth following wouldn't choose them. The choice of Matthew was offensive. And Matthew throws a party. He just thought it was offensive, the kind of calling that was there. But then here is Jesus at the party that Levi, Matthew Levi throws. And you know who's at this party? More of those people. Tax collectors and sinners. And all the, the religious elite are sitting around going, <laughs> no rabbi worth his salt would associate with those people. In fact, no Jew worth his salt would associate with those people. He didn't, even, he didn't even know what he's doing. Jesus says, you don't know because you're not ready to receive what I have to give you. Right? When Jesus says, I came not for the righteous but to call the sinners to repentance, it's, he's not saying that he didn't come for the Pharisees. What he's saying is the Pharisees were not ready to receive what Jesus had to give them from God, the God that they worshipped. 
They were not in a place in their heart. They weren't a place in their mind. They weren't a place in their spirit to receive what God had for them. They were so blinded by their adherence to the law that they didn't even realize what the law had proclaimed to them. And that God's word was being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. The call of Christ isn't limited to those who have lived a clean life. Jesus doesn't come and say, all right, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go take care of this, 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 and this. And when you get your life straight, then you can come and follow me. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, look, I know what you guys have been doing with the scales when you go to the market. I know you've been fudging the numbers to make sure that, that you get every dime and a little bit more for this catch that you've made. So I need you to go make things right. Um, by the way, you've got some people that have some grudges out against you. I mean, there has to have been some Peter that has some grudges out for Peter, right? We've seen the way he lived. He's had to have offended some people in his life because he lives that kind of bold life that doesn't think before he acts. I know Peter. You know why I know Peter? Because I see Peter in the mirror every day. When I wake up and I look in the mirror, I see somebody that doesn't always think before they say things. And then they look back and they go, ooh, I didn't see that coming. It's like, how? How did you not see that coming? It's happened time and time and time again. You know, Jesus just says, no, 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 no. I'm going to take you as you are, dirty, stinky fishermen. Leave your fish there. Leave your tax booth there. Leave your stuff there. You don't need anything. You just come and follow me. And along the way, we're going to make it right. Because I'm going to change you completely. You don't have to get your life right before you come to Jesus because he will make your life right along the way. The company that Jesus keeps is offensive. You look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. You see the kinds of things that they say about Jesus and the company that he keeps. God is not offended by your wounds. He is not offended by your past. He is not offended by your failure. Nothing prohibits Jesus from coming and saying, Be mine. Come and follow me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 15, Paul says, This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. If that's what Paul says, when he's writing 1 Timothy, what am I going to say? The same thing. Because Jesus doesn't require me to be right and perfect and pure before I come and follow him. He says, you come and you follow me and I will make you into who you are supposed to be. But the call for everyone who comes to Jesus is to not keep it to yourself. He finishes off the statement in Matthew chapter 20, or the, the life there in Matthew chapter 28, as he is getting ready to leave them, and he says, Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And when he returns after his ascension, he says, Now you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That is his last 
call to them is now, now that you have come and follow me, now then here, here is the objective. Go and tell it. Proclaim it. Will we answer that call? We lose focus. Right? We lose focus on the task at hand. And, and it is so much easier to do as we get older. Even in gatherings like this, it's easy. We see kids run through the hallway and they go, ah, those kids, they shouldn't be running. Instead of man. Look how happy those kids are to be here. If that kid can't wait to get to Bible class, he is on a dead sprint to Bible class. That's so cool. It's pretty quiet today, you know, but maybe, maybe the temptation is to go, man, don't we have a cry room somewhere? Hey, little kids crying? That's just a sign of life in the church. Little kids talking, toys rummaging around. Man, that tells me that we have parents who are raising their children in the church, and they can be a lot of places with good excuses to not be here on a Sunday morning because life is hard. It's easy for me to forget that life is hard with those little ones right now because mine are older. And as I get older, it gets easier and easier to put those things away. But when we are remembered to focus on what the task is at hand, we are mindful of what it means, what all those sounds and noises bring. Zach, you can let him go, man. Hey, you don't have to take him out because that is a sign of the future. Right? Those are kids that are being raised up in the shadow of a people of God. It's like a janitor who's walking around a church camp saying, man, if there weren't so many kids around here, it'd be so much easier to keep this place clean. Well, of course there would, but you wouldn't have a church camp to clean because it's dependent on the kids being there. Because we begin to be focused on the things that affect me and me only, and, and that is not the way of Jesus. We get so focused on our own things that we have to deal with that we forget that our task is to make sure that those young children hear about Jesus, to make sure that my co-workers hear about Jesus, to make sure that my family hears about Jesus. Sometimes, oh, I lose track of that. I lose track of that sometimes. I read a story about a young man whose father was a minister. He'd been a minister for the better part of 40 years. And he said, you know, I went to my dad's funeral, and I love my dad, and I know my dad loved me. He goes, but I listened to the stories that people told about my dad, and they made him out to be the fourth person of the Trinity. He said, I didn't speak at my dad's funeral. One of my dad's good friends asked me about it afterwards, and he said, I told him. I said, the truth is, you all got to see a part of my dad that I never got to see. Whoa, that broke my heart. He said, I know my dad loved me. I know he loved God, and I know um, that and I loved him. But I didn't know the man that you all knew. 
And it wasn't because he wasn't trying, it's because he was spent doing other things. Like, we have to remember that our primary responsibility is to make sure that the people in our immediate circle know who God is so that we can then have the credibility to speak outwardly. To be sure that they know who God is in the gospel of Jesus. Because the one task that we have been given is to advance the kingdom. It doesn't matter what your present is. It doesn't matter how wounded you are. It doesn't matter how messed up you may be. That no matter what you may think God thinks of you, he wants you to be his child. And when you become his child, he says, now, I want you to go and tell it to everybody else that you see. So what do we do when we have encountered a good thing? What did you do two weeks ago when you walked by a gas station, they had gas and no line? Did you call somebody? Or did you wait? Did you go home and get all your gas cans and all your cars and then go get gas and then call somebody? Either way, we called somebody, right? Because if there's something good, we want people to know. Let's live that way with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Respond. Respond to the gospel and then res- respond to the call to be his disciple.